I'm going to take a little bit of a turn away from things we've been talking about for a, a week here and um, do a simpler, more direct lesson that won't won't bore or tax you so much. And that's the, just a simple subject of what all men have in common. It's an important subject, I think, very timely and important, one that's easily overlooked uh, from the standpoint of the Scriptures. The ideas, many of the thoughts in this lesson come from a, another brother, Andy Sokor, who, who uh, put together some of the original notes. And I won't, I will not ask you to think that he uh, is responsible for what I say this morning because I wouldn't want to put that burden on him to make him responsible for some of the ridiculous things we might say. But I think this is often overlooked. We live in a society, strangely enough, people talk, are talking about unity. But all they can talk about is individual identities and group identities. And I can tell you as an old man, focusing on your group identity and what is focusing on what separates you from other people. It isn't focusing on what unites you with other people. And demanding other people do things because of your feelings, how that works, never brings unity. That always brings a lack of harmony and disruption. And we're seeing this all around us if we want to open our eyes and see it. But the Bible focuses talks about the differences in people. There are different nations of people with their different customs and languages. It's all throughout the Bible. And the, and even the early church had problems with the fact that there were Jews and Gentiles in the early church and Greeks that didn't understand each other and in society didn't get along with each other. If you think the hatred or disagreement between blacks and whites in our country is bad, you should have been in ancient Palestine or even Rome. And, and the hatred that was expressed openly between Jew and Gentile or between Greeks and Romans. The Greeks thought everybody else were in, was inferior. That's where the name barbarian come from. Barbar is a Greek uh, onomatopoeia, which is the barking of dogs. Bark, bark, bark. Because everybody else who wasn't Greek barked like a dog. They were so primitive. But only the Greeks spoke that beautiful Greek language. Everybody else was a barbarian because they barked like a dog. Now, that's not politically correct, all right? And the Romans felt the same way about the Greeks, a bunch of sissies and others. That's a technical term, scientific. You can look it up later, the word sissy. But th- there was tremendous viciousness between the different cultures of the ancient world. I don't think we have anything exactly like that today. And yet, don't get me wrong. What The situation that exists today, not only in the United States, but in the rest of the world, of different groups of people hating each other is despicable. God does not approve of it. We shouldn't approve of it as Christians. We should be doing some, some thinking and fighting against the kind of bitterness and superiority that some groups feel over others in our society. And so don't make any mistake about what I'm saying. But we should also focus, from what the Bible says, on some things we have in common. And they're not the kind of things that you think of. But let's go first to this passage in 1 Samuel 16 and verse 7. This is, this is where uh, Samuel was told to go appoint a king to replace Saul. Go to the house of Jesse and appoint one of his sons as king. And so he's got seven sons and, and they all start coming out. The oldest one comes out, big and strong, Eliab, and wow. Samuel goes, this must be the Lord's anointed. He's the oldest. He's big, strong, handsome. And then the Lord says to him, to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature 
stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For the man looks, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So all these sons go by one by one are all rejected. Finally, the scrawniest one, the youngest one comes by and God says, that's the man, David. He's the man. Now, David turned out as he matured to be a strong and handsome man known for his, known for his beauty and so forth and his attractiveness. And so were his children. But that's not why he was chosen. And that's not what it was, was when he was chosen. The Lord does not look at the outward appearance. He looks at the heart. That's a good principle to look, to, 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 uh, to view when assessing people that you know. You know, I think that's sometimes true for even football coaches. Uh, a lot of the good coaches will sometimes ignore physical limitations if that player has what they call heart, won't they? And they can get a good player, better player, because you can be the biggest guy in the world or fastest, but if you don't have something of character there, there's nothing to make a football player, much less a Christian that can please God. And even Jesus says this in another context about people judging the miracles he was doing on the Sabbath day. And they judge just by what they could see on the surface. He said in John 7, Jesus, do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. In other words, judge fairly when you've heard the whole case and take in all the facts. Judge righteous judgment. We're allowed to judge, but we must judge fairly and not just by our own prejudices and our own ideas, we have to look at what the scriptures say about that. So I want to start in a basic place with you, uh, what the Bible says, first of all, we all have in common. God is the maker of us all, maker of all men. And we know this from Genesis 1. Now, by the way, the passages we're going to use this morning are not some deep dive into some obscure passage. You're, you're going to know almost every scripture I'm going to put up here, or be familiar with the ideas anyway. But that maybe that's the point. The idea that all of us are, have a lot in common is a fundamental scriptural principle. The Bible is founded upon that, even though it emphasizes the differences between Jew and Gentile. And even though much of the Bible is about the selection of the Jews for a special purpose, even the Jews missed that point. And they thought that that meant that they were better than other people. In fact, God was just choosing them so he could bless everybody. That's what he was choosing them for, and they missed that point. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, created he him, male and female, he created them. This puts male and female, who are often at odds with each other in our modern times, at, in the same place. It puts all mankind, mankind is the word here in the Greek translation of this, not man in the sense of a male, but the sense of mankind. All of us are made in the same way. And I know this doesn't mean physically, because we certainly are not the same physically. Oh, I know most of us have a head. Most of us have two arms and so forth. But that doesn't at all seem to be what he's referring to in this passage. Because it's about God. And God does not have a physical body. He's a spirit. So to be made in God's image would have to refer to something about the internal nature of man, the spirit of man, that part which makes him uh, like God in that sense that's, that exists beyond that survives death, as it were. All of us have this in common. doesn't matter what language you speak, the color of our skin, how tall or short we are, all those, where we're from, 
I think this probably even includes people from New Jersey. Best I, best I can tell. <laughs> best I can tell. You see how you see how we react to those kind of things. You see how that works. Proverbs says the rich and the poor have this in common: the Lord is the maker of them all. Oh yes, we immediately, as human beings, and as soon as cultures developed early on, we started differentiating ourselves by the clothes we wear, and by the things that we have. And other things, we, we want to differentiate ourselves. I, I've seen people, seen this work, that people will buy something, it's very popular, it's a good thing to buy, but as soon as you can get it at Walmart, they don't want it anymore. They're looking for something you can't buy at Walmart. Because what it means is everybody has one, and they're just too good to have something that everybody has. They've got to have some, sorry Fred about the Walmart thing, but <laughs> that's a fact, he works there. The The... People have this idea that I've got to do something to distinguish myself from other people, and that we we do we do it by titles, by clothing, by possessions, by where we live. We put a gate around it so nobody else can get in, and not not those things aren't within themselves sinful, but they indicate oftentimes a sinful inclination of the heart. Is to separate yourself from everybody else. All this business of kings and queens. And can you believe they made a man the queen? I just don't understand that. But in any event, all that business of kings and queens and dukes and all those things didn't come from the Bible. Didn't come from God's view of man. Because he says here, the rich and the poor had this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. And probably if we could strip some of that stuff away, we would see that down in the bottom they're the same. I know this from the, some of the things we've been some of the things we've been talking about on the last few Sundays about all this how we got here. One of the things I'm really trying to say is that all humans struggle with the same problem, and it's not does my air conditioner work and can we get to the moon? We talk about those kind of things, but humans struggle with right and wrong in humanity and am I, am I going to die and what does it mean that I'm here why am I here what, what's my life worth we struggle with those things and you know what that, those are the common problems of all people down through time these exact same things were discussed thousands of years before Christ by, by people of different cultures because but God's the maker of all and, and we all have a common ancestry you've heard me emphasize this point, point several times in the last few years from this pulpit I'm not going to stop doing it because I think it's a critical point for our day and time, especially considering some of the things going on around us, is that we have a common ancestry, and modern humanist thinking will never get you where you need to be about this. God made of one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth. That's the scriptural viewpoint of things. The worldly viewpoint, which many of you have accepted without realizing it is, that we came from different lines of different kinds of intelligent apes, they evolved in different ways, in this part of the world or that part, different lines like Australopithecines and Neanderthals, you know, and we all, all these apes uh, mated together and evolved and now we have humans. And we have some dark humans, some light humans, some tall humans, some not so tall humans, we have smart humans, we have not so smart humans. And so the view of evolutionary biology is that yes indeed, we all look kind of human, but our ancestry is different. There were different lines of apes that made human beings. 
And so therefore, Darwin and all the people that followed after believed that some race of humans were superior to others. Did you know that? One of the foundation principles of that, that Nietzsche built his worldview on and others is that human, the human race was divided into superior and inferior races. Where did they get that idea from? They got that idea from evolution. But you send your kids to school and they get taught this and you, it's, uh, you like it. You watch National Geographic, which pumps you full of this every day. And everywhere you go, you're taught that humans evolved and we're all, and what they're saying behind it all is that humans are different. I have no idea, logically speaking, how our leaders and politicians and academic people can go around parroting the idea that all men are created equal. There is no way, if they want to follow the science, I'm, I'm an air quotes in case you're just listening, if they want to follow the science on this, there is no science that tells you that all men are created equal. What science tells you is that people are different and some are better than others. Whatever criteria that science can put forward, which are always physical criteria, because they can measure that, humans are not equal. Even intelligent humans aren't equal. And unfortunately, you can find differences according to races in those things. According to race in those things. You can't say that. YouTube just probably shut me down for saying that. But that's a fact. Because science won't get you to where we need to be. What gets you where you need to be? This scripture and others that he made from one blood every nation of men who dwell on the earth and the fact that all of us go back to one set of parents, Adam and Eve, in the Garden of Eden. We've all come from them. And therefore, even though we may look different, just like my brothers and I look different, and different sizes and shapes of my four brothers, uh, the four of us, all humans are, are the same, though. We have the same parents. Therefore, we're brothers. We belong together because we have a common ancestor. The scriptures teach that. Have, and our society and the Declaration of Independence and all the Constitution, our court systems, were all based on that premise that came from the Bible. They were not based on secular evolution and so-called scientific theory. I don't know where we're going to go from here, but I can tell you we have no basis at all for our founding documents to be. And guess what's happening? What are you seeing around you? You're seeing that the intellectuals and the other powerful people of our society are trying to make this come real, that there is that we need to get rid of these founding documents, get rid of this idea that humans are equal, and all divide ourselves up into identity groups based upon their criteria of who's good and who's bad, human criteria. And therefore, there's no hope for any unity whatsoever. I, I can get, I'll get spend too much time on that. But the fact is, if this is an important principle. You need to teach your children this very clearly in the way that you act, the way that you speak, and what you teach them directly about the nature of their fellow human beings and what the Bible says about that that's critical and important from front to back. And, and you're not going to find this in any other place. Sin is a problem for all too, though. We can talk about people having common ancestors, but we also see we have a common ancestor in Adam and Eve, and guess what they did? 
They sinned against God. They openly rebelled against God. I don't think, I saw Judy and Larry, we were talking about something. I, I said, I don't think Eve sinned, Adam sinned, just inadvertently eating a bite of an apple or a fruit or something. And, and that was a, a mistake that they made. The, what their sin was, was open, high-handed rebellion against God to try to replace God in their life. I like the way this fruit looks. I like the way it tastes. And I want to be a God. That's the rebellion. And it was not a simple thing. It was not a, not a minor thing with God. He treated it very major because it was. And we've kind of picked up that attitude from our original parents. We get it from them. We see that it works sometimes. And you know what? Uh, wickedness, doing wrong, you can't deny that doing wrong works sometimes, doesn't it? Who gets what they want when they go to Walmart to return something? Who gets the part? Who gets what they want? The person that sits back and, and, you know, just kind of hands them a receipt and, uh, no, it's the person up there yelling about what they want. Do they get what they want? They do. Who gets what they want in the traffic light? The person honking their horn the loudest. That's who, our society's built on, human society's built on that. So goodness doesn't get you what you want. So sin is built into this person here that wants his own way. And the Bible says though, but now the right, in Romans 3, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, meaning in people, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, they all need the gospel, the salvation that comes from God, because there's no difference in people. Nobody was born better than anybody else, as it were. Now read this passage correctly. We haven't got time to go into a dissertation about Calvinism this morning. But when you read this, the reason that you're condemned and need the gospel is because all have sinned. It doesn't say all are sons of Adam and therefore are automatically a sinner. All have sinned. That's the problem. And you know that means you. I'll leave myself out of it since I'm the preacher, but <clears throat> no. All have sinned. And, and therefore we have this in common. You know, it's, I'll get on politics for a moment. One of the, one of the things that's, that's changed in our thinking about our own country is this very thing. The founders of the, our country being Protestants for the most part understood something about human beings. They were all the same. They were all prone to seize power and get what they wanted in unlawful ways. No one, no one could be trusted with power. That's what the founders believed. In that they, we, we're taught that we should trust the government, trust our authorities, trust our leaders. The founders would be saying, no, no, no. We, we have plenty of evidence even the last few years that trust is unwarranted because human beings, when they can seize power for themselves, will do so and they can't be trusted with it. So they designed a system of government that split the power up into different branches and different things had different checks and balances on it. All that was done. Not because people were good, but because people couldn't be trusted with power. They were right about that. Why? Because all men are the same. That's why. They're sinners. And they can't be, be trusted. Uh, so I'm standing, I go and checking out something. 
Walmart the other day, and I think I was trying to buy whipped cream. I think it was. Something like that. And in the middle of this thing, I'm scanning my stuff. You know, I, I have to use the scanner. Judy doesn't use them, but I was scanning my stuff. And it flags, the screen goes, blows up, and got to wait for a person to come over. And what in the world did I do now? Girl comes over, gets her badge, watch it, looks at me. Yeah, you look 18. I'm at, I said, I'm at least 18. She goes, well, you tried to buy whipped cream. Can't buy that if you're not 18. Why? Because people can't be trusted, that's why. Because people are snorting whipped cream to get the nitrous oxide or whatever out of it and all this kind of stuff. And spray paint the same way. And it's a hassle. I don't know how I got off on that. I had a good point to make, but now I forgot it. So let's move on. The Bible says in Romans 6, a few chapters over, where we just read, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And the implication, if you read the context, is to all. The wages, what sin gets you as a payment is death. You can get life or death by the things that you do. When you sin, when you rebel against God and do what you want without considering what he wants, you earn death. Everybody does. There's not one person who doesn't earn death by what they do. Just because your sin doesn't... What, what humans have done also, they made a system whereby the things that I like to do are good things and they don't count in church problems. But the things that you like to do are problems. So we got some sins that are real big and important, other sins that are smaller. It's usually based on who's in charge and what they like to do, you see. Uh, it's a it's human problem. And... On the other side of that coin, the flip side of this, is Christ died for all, all men. Didn't die just for the elect. He didn't die for one race or another race or the rich or the poor. Humans have flipped about this too. It used to be in ancient times, for many in many cultures, some of the Bible cultures, that if you were rich or affluent, you were viewed as a good person. God had blessed you. It makes sense. God had blessed you. Because he gave you protection from poverty and protection from many things. And so if you were rich and prosperous, you were a good person. And if you were poor, it meant that God didn't love you. This is kind of the way it is in Hindu cultures also. Because of the law of karma, a poor person deserves to be poor. Karma put them there in the underclass, in the untouchables. And so it's been a very difficult time for Western culture to get Indians to do anything about poverty. Because they believe karma aligned it exactly like it should be. The rich upper classes deserve to be that. Karma, well, today what do, what do we say in our yoga class? The universe gave this to me. So they would say that, yeah, the universe put this person in the gutter, put you on the top, and that's the way it should be. What is is what is right. That's Hinduism. And that's what a lot of people believed in ancient times. Now today, because of Marxism, we kind of believe the opposite of that. Uh, not altogether because of Marxism, but somewhat. That if you're rich, you're a bad person, and if you're poor, you're a good person. That isn't true at all. I know too many poor people to believe that. Okay, That you're a good person because you're poor. Do poor people steal, lie, cheat, commit adultery, listen to terrible music? Of course they do. 
Sorry to say country music, but but I like country music. But but I, I like more like John Deere Green than I do the new country music. But in any event, and if you don't know what John Deere Green is, you need to become educated. You're not really an educated person until you've listened to the song John Deere Green and learned to appreciate the wonderful poetry and literature genius of that song. Christ died for all, though. He abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances. This is probably talking about the Old Testament. Why? Why did he do this? Because so he could create in himself one new man from the two. The two here are Jew and Gentile. The two basic cultures in the Bible view of things, all the Jews and then everybody else in the world that they separate themselves from, he wants to make one new man from those two. That he might reconcile them both to God because they're both apart from God. Both Jew and Gentile were not in God's favor. They had all sinned and he wants to reconcile them both back to God in one body, not two bodies. Not a, not a church for rich people, not a church for poor people, church for black people, church for white people. Not that, but one. Through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. Now, folks, I don't know. I know the world will never get this right. They will never get it right. They haven't yet right. Whatever iteration of the world is is going on in our culture and the one that follows it and the one that comes after that will not ever get this right. But we, as Christ's people, must get this right because we are Christ's body and we all belong together in Christ's body. As difficult as that is sometimes, we must get this right. And it's fundamentally believe that Christ died for all and that we've been reconciled. I've said it before and I mean it's it is an amazing thing to me. I, I doubt that there's anybody in this room that I would know if I wasn't a Christian. Even my wife. I only met her because my family were Christians and her family were Christians. And it was a winding road to get us to where we met each other in the lunch line that day here forty eight years ago last month or this month. Actually forty eight 48 years ago this month, we met together and I saw this girl. I was with my girlfriend. I saw this other girl standing there. I said, hmm, I better remember this girl. That's what I thought. And I did. I thought about that this morning, Judy. You were trying to fix my tie and you're standing here looking at, looking at me in the face. And I thought, I remember that look. That's why I'm, that's why I, that's why we're together um, from my angle. We wouldn't know each other without Christ. What we have in common to the gears because we love the Lord and all of us as sinners came to Him for forgiveness and that threw us into this family. We didn't choose this family. God threw us into this family together in Christ. And He says, now brothers and sisters, get along with each other. Love each other. There it is. Love each other as I have loved you. Christ died for that reason, to make one new man. He says in 1 Timothy, there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Now some versions of Christianity put that gave himself a ransom for all the elect, but that's not what the text says. Gave himself a ransom for all. And so he died for every single one. Hard to, hard to believe, harder still to 
bring that down into the nitty-gritty of everyday living, but there it is. The gospel then is for all. When Jesus... Boy, I've told you this before, I want to get back into it, but when you go to Israel, the thing that struck me the most about being in Palestine and Israel a couple years ago is this. Everywhere you go, you're reminded of the path of this fact that the Jews thought they were the only ones and Jesus came along and said, no, I'm dying for everyone. And everywhere you go, you see this in that land. It's not obvious to people that aren't looking for it, but there it is everywhere. And since I've gotten back from there, I've noticed more and more and more scriptures in both old and new that talk about this idea that the gospel is for all. It was intended to be that way from the beginning. The conversion of the Gentiles was not an afterthought. It was the whole point. Okay, and that includes you and me. And Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Those are big words, all and every, aren't they? They're big words. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. The gospel's for everybody. Not everybody's going to accept it. Some are going to be condemned because they refuse it to believe and be baptized. But it's for everybody. And so the disciples, these uh, uneducated, for the most part, Jews of that day, they took this to heart because the Savior had said it. And what we know about their lives outside the Bible is those 12 men, including Paul and, and even Matthias, gave their lives for this this statement Jesus said. They gave their life because of this verse. Go and preach to every creature. And they took it to mean what he said. In every nation. In Acts 10, Peter then a few years, about 10 years later from the time Jesus ascended back to heaven, about 10 years or so from there, Jesus, uh, Jesus met Peter basically on the rooftop and said, I'm going to send you a met to a man that you need to teach. He's a Gentile. Peter didn't want to do that. God showed him a vision. I'm shortening the story. And so Peter went. And when he got there to this Gentile's house where he shouldn't have been according to the Jews, and there's other people with him, which I admire them too for going with Peter to this place. Here's, a, here's Cornelius, the Gentile Roman soldier. And when he gets there, he says, it says he opened his mouth, Acts 10, 34, and he said, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. The King James says God is no respecter of persons. He doesn't care if you're a Jew or a Gentile, if you're rich or poor. God is not a respecter of persons. But in every nation, there's that word again, every nation, whoever, another big word, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. There it is. Doesn't matter what nation it might be. I understand, I, I don't know that these are New Testament Christians, but by the general, generic definition of Christian, there are more Christians now in China than in the United States that Christianity is growing by leaps and bounds in a country that is trying its best to suppress it, even by death. I know this is true in some of the poorest places in Africa and other places. And we share this blessing. We've had this freedom to know this and our country can't decide what's a woman. Makes you wonder. But he says, in every nation who ever fears him works righteousness. So 
You can live by these principles. This should affect how you talk to people that you meet in the grocery store or your neighbors. This should affect how you approach them and what you say. You should have the goal and the desire that every person, whoever they are, can hear the gospel of Christ and have a chance to be accepted by God. The other thing is, death comes to everybody. Lots of verses about this. Hebrews 9 says, It's appointed for man once to die, for men once to die, but after this the judgment. And so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. Everybody has an appointment that they're going to make. And the book of Ecclesiastes makes this point. Uh, all things come alike to, to all. One event happens to the righteous and the wicked. He's talking about death. To the good, to the clean, to the unclean, to him who sacrifices, him who does not sacrifice. As is the good, so is the sinner. He who takes an oath is as him who fears an oath. Everybody, everyone will face death. And this is the great fear that we live with. So many things are decided without even knowing it because we fear death. But he says, you need to understand that everybody is going to die. And guess what? That includes you. Every year that goes by, I see this. I don't like it. I'm making plans for my death. They're vague. Mostly involving a very elaborate, extensive funeral with paid mourners. You know, but no, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, uh, you need to make plans for your death. You, you need to understand that that's going to happen and what it was, what, what it might be to those who are left behind in your life. And you need to think about that, especially as you get older, but it happens to the young also. I was thinking about all the people I went to school with and grew up with in the neighborhood where I lived. A bunch of those people are dead now. And a lot of them didn't die just last year. Some of these fellows, I think about it now, they died the summer we left high school. They were dead then. And that's 50 years ago. And their parents suffered then till their death. And I think of other young men that I, we knew that were 8, 10, one was a 12-year-old friend of my brother's who hung himself when we were boys. Death comes to all. And it's a sobering fact. And then we'll close with this passage that judgment is for all men too. I'm not going to escape the judgment day. I know that this is completely outside the realm of thought of modern humans that control our society, modern elite people. The concept of the judgment day is completely outside their frame of reference. They will certainly think that you are insane and a dangerous person if you talk to them about the judgment day. But there it is in the Bible. And so since I believe that Jesus came and lived and died and was resurrected by the eyewitnesses, I have to believe what he told me about the judgment day. What he told his apostles to tell me about that. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, we must all, there's our word, appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one, not groups, not this race, that race, the rich, the poor, whatever, not the, not the groups will not appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Not countries. You have no protection because you're an American. That each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Where terror there means the terror that you should fear, feel when you understand that you will appear before the judgment. And give account for everything you've ever done. You're going to be judged according to what you have done. Not your intentions, 
not how good you feel about things, what you've done. And I can't tell you what you've done. Unfortunately, you may know, some of you have even blocked that out, things you've done. But God knows those things that are in your heart and what you've said and done. And you're going to be judged for that. Are you ready for that judgment day? A lot of people aren't. You Christians should have supposedly made made preparation for that day by your obedience to the gospel and by your continued obedience to Christ's words and doing what is right and seeking forgiveness of the wrong that you commit. Seeking that forgiveness continually from Christ. You need to do that. And if you haven't done that, today's a good chance to do it. We're going to sing a song, uh, this number here, number um, 784. Why did my Savior come to earth? We're going to sing this song in a moment. And you can come to the front. We'll pray with you about the things that trouble you. You're struggling with, with habits and difficulties that overwhelm you from time to time. Or you just have done things that are wrong and you need to be forgiven. God, God can forgive you. If you need forgiveness from some specific person, go seek that forgiveness. Maybe you're not even a Christian. Oh, you love Christ. You think the Bible's nice. But you've never really repented of the way that you've lived. You've never really confessed his name before men in an assembly like this. You've never really been baptized as a believer and buried with Christ in baptism and raised up to walk. You've never done those things that, that Jesus told his apostles to go teach people to do. We read that verse already. If so, we can help you this morning. We can baptize you into Christ based on your belief, your each one, your belief in Christ and your confession of his name. Are you ready for that? If so, you come right down to the front row here. Let's stand and sing.